I'm so grateful that when God saved me, he didn't just leave me alone. Aren't you glad that when God saved you, he didn't say, hey, you're in now? Good luck, hope it goes well. See you in heaven. No. When God saved us, it was just the beginning of a work of grace in our lives. And I want to talk to you about that ongoing work of God in our lives called sanctification. I want to show you how this work is grounded in the doctrine of the Trinity. This summer, we are focusing on that doctrine in our summer sermon series, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, a study on the Trinity. And this morning, we're going to start with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So find your place there with me. I'd like to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, the Bible says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, look at that next word, completely, I like that, sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, I love verse 24, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, where would we be if Jesus had not paid it all? But we are so grateful that we stand here today as a faith family redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Our sins washed away, reconciled to you, justified by faith, enjoying a personal relationship with the God of the universe. Wow, you are so full of grace. As we heard just a little earlier, mercy. And our response today is worship, where we focus our mind's attention and our heart's affection upon you. You are the reason that we're here. We just pray that you would move in our midst as the word of God goes forth. Holy Spirit, would you grant us the gift of illumination that we may see the truths of Scripture and grant us the gift of inclination that we would have the desire to respond to what you show us. May Jesus be exalted in this place. May God be glorified in these moments. And we ask and pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I want to talk to you this morning about the Trinity and sanctification. Before we get into the meat of the sermon, we need to define our terms. The first term I want to define for you is Trinity, and we've done this every week of the summer sermon series. I've given you a working definition. If you look there in your notes, the Bible teaches that there is one true God eternally existing in three co-equal persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That's what we mean when we say the Trinity. One God in essence and nature, eternally existing in three co-equal persons. That is the doctrine of the triune God. And that's our working definition. But let's define sanctification. That's a, a big word. It's a Bible word. It's a word that we use 
What does it mean? We've heard that word. What does the word sanctification actually mean? Let me give you just sort of a a brief definition to begin to wrap your mind around this word. Sanctification is the lifelong process whereby God makes Christ followers more like Christ. That's all it is. It's the lifelong process. Notice I said lifelong. It, it, It continues until we step out of this life into eternity. It's the lifelong process whereby God makes Christ followers more like the Christ they follow. It's the process of change where God makes us more like Jesus. That's what sanctification is. So when I was saved at nine years of age, God began a sanctifying process that is ongoing to this day and will be ongoing until I step into eternity. And so that is the the doctrine of sanctification. I want you to understand that the, the, the doctrine of sanctification is directly related to the doctrine of the Trinity. You may be here today and say, wait, I wonder how God changes me. I wonder how that works. What does that look like? What, what are the, the nuts and bolts of God's transformation process? Or, or maybe you're here today and you say, wait, I'm really not changing at the rate I like to change. Maybe I've gotten stagnant and dry and a little complacent and apathetic. I'd, I'd like to see growth in change. I'd like to see progress in transformation. So if that's your heart this morning, guess what? The answers to your, to your stagnation, the answers to how does God change us, they're found in the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity has everything to do with our sanctification. So I have a two-point sermon this morning, okay? Only two points. I know you're supposed to have three, but I only got two, so just bear with me, okay? Two-point sermon. The first point is very simple. I want to talk to you about the triune God's role in our sanctification. And then the second point is our role in our sanctification. Let's talk about the triune God's role. What does God do to change us and make us more like the Christ that we follow? Let me just break it down under the headings of the three persons of the Godhead. For example, what does the Father do? What is His role in our sanctification. Well, the Father does at least two things, and this is not exhaustive, but the Father, first of all, purposes. He purposes. He has a a purpose and a plan for our lives. It says there in verse 23, we just read it, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And so, uh, so in this benediction, Paul is reminding the believers in Thessalonica that God is a sanctifying God. And he is working to completely sanctify them. And then look over with me in Romans chapter 8. This is a very important verse that I want your eyes to fall on. Romans chapter 8. Look in verse 28. Romans 8 verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Amen? Isn't that a great verse? Love that verse. God weaves everything together in our lives for our ultimate good and His ultimate glory. So you've probably heard that verse before and amen that verse before, but you got to keep reading because the, the next verses are so significant. Look what it says in verse 29. 
For those whom he foreknow, foreknew, he also predestined, predetermined. The word predestined means to mark out the boundaries beforehand. He predetermined uh, to be conformed to the image of his son. That means if you are in Christ, if you are a believer, then God has predetermined that you grow into conformity with the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. That is God's purpose. That is God's plan for your life. Whether you know it or not, God is working to make you more like Jesus. And so God the Father has this purpose, this plan for our sanctification. But not only does God purpose, God prunes. He prunes. Now we can amen, right? Romans 8.28, Romans 8.29. But when it comes to pruning, we're like, oh me. Not amen, oh me. Because pruning can be painful over in John 15, when Jesus is relaying to his disciples how God transforms lives, he uses the imagery of a vine and a vine dresser. And Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. And as the father walks among his people, if he sees someone that is not bearing fruit to the degree he would like to see them bear fruit, they have grown stagnant or complacent in their fruit bearing as a believer in Christ. It says he prunes them so they can bear more fruit. You know the, the imagery there, right? There's a, a pruning of a, of, of, a, of a plant so that it can grow better. And, and pruning is a, a cutting away. It's a, it's a very painful thing. And guess what? God cares about you so much. Your father cares about you so much. He is willing to allow or cause difficult things in your life to help you grow. It's called pruning. Hebrews calls it discipline. As a loving father, he will often discipline his children if we're not going the right direction to get our attention, so we'll get back on the right path. That's what discipline is for, right? That's why we discipline our kids. You say to your child, hey, don't go play in the road. We know if they play in the road, they could get run over by a vehicle. And you go back outside if you told them not to play in the road, and guess what? They're playing in the road. So what do you do? You discipline them because you want them to understand that that, that, um, that thing they're doing leads to destruction, and hurt, and pain. You want to discipline them to get their attention so they won't do it anymore. They'll get back on the right path. And guess what? God, our Father, does the exact same thing in our lives. Now, I didn't say it was pleasant, but it's purposeful, and it's important. And God will often allow or directly cause hardship in our life because he wants to prune away things that are hindering our growth so he can accelerate his work of grace in our lives and we become more like Jesus. So what does the father do? The father purposes and prunes. But let's talk about the son's role in our sanctification. Three things here. First of all, the son perfects. The son perfects. And I added this in kind of later on after I kind of gotten close to finishing my sermon because I felt like this was so, so important that we get this as we think about sanctification. And I was thinking about a verse over in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 that says, For by a single offering, speaking of the cross, he, Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And so here's what that verse means. As you are going through the sanctification process, don't think that your performance in sanctification determines whether or not you go to heaven. Jesus has paid it all 
so your sins can be washed away, so you know that you have been reconciled to God, you are eternally secure in Christ. The, 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 the debt has been paid by Jesus completely. And so sanctification is not our tryout for heaven. It's not God saying, well, they did pretty good, I think I'll let them in. Or, ah, no, they didn't do too good, they're not coming to heaven. No, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's a free gift that you receive, not something you earn. Sanctification is the process that begins upon your conversion. And after you step into Christ, and you're eternally secure in Christ, and all your sins are washed away, God begins to sanctify you, begin to change you. So you need to understand, listen, the deal has been fixed. The deal's been fixed. Whether or not you did great yesterday or whether, you're not great, whether or not you do great tomorrow, you've been perfected by the blood of Jesus. You are going to heaven when you die if you are in Christ. Sanctification is not a tryout for heaven. It's what God does in the lives of eternally secure believers to make them more like Jesus and get them ready for heaven. Amen? That's what sanctification is. So, so Jesus perfects. The deal's been fixed on the front end. All right? You, you, whether or not you go to heaven is not based upon your performance. Got that? It's based upon what Jesus did for you. But not only does Jesus perfect, but Jesus purifies. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5 with me. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. In this very important passage in Ephesians, Paul is pointing out under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that marriage between a man and a woman is a picture of the gospel, which is why marriage is such a big deal. It it pictures the gospel here on earth. And he says there in verse 25, Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's a pretty big task, right, guys? Love your wives like Jesus. That means you love sacrificially, you love unconditionally, you love in a way that you are laying down your life for your spouse. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now he's talking about Christ's love for his church. That means believers in Christ. He says that he, Jesus, watch this, might sanctify her, might sanctify the church, believers, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So it speaks here of Jesus' work to purify his bride. If you are a Christian, the Bible says you are a part of the bride of Christ. Jesus is your bridegroom, you are the bride And Jesus is preparing you and me for that time when he will return one day and and, and come for his bride and bring us all to heaven. In the meantime, it says Jesus is sanctifying his bride. He's purifying his bride. He's he's making us more uh, more ready for heaven. He's bringing our our practice into conformity with our position in Christ. He's he's changing us. He's sanctifying us. He's making us more pure. He purifies. But not only does Jesus purify, he prepares. Verse 27, it says, that he might present the church to himself in splendor. He's preparing us for that day when we will see Jesus, the bridegroom, face to face. And so the Son is perfecting and purifying and preparing us. He's actively at work in his life because, listen, Jesus loves his bride. Hey, quick side note here. I've heard people say before, 
You know, I, uh, I'm all for Jesus, but I don't like the church. You can't play that game. The church is the bride of Christ. I mean, what if you came to me and said, hey, Wade, I, I really like you. I'm not a big fan of Claire. Well, guess what? You and I aren't going to be friends. We're a package deal. Claire and I come together. You, you can't say you like me or don't like my bride. That's going to that's make me angry, Right? What do you think it says to Jesus when we say, hey, Jesus, I'm into you. I'm just not into your church. You are talking about the bride of Christ. And Jesus here is purifying. He's working to make us different, to to, to deal with our sins so we can be changed and transformed and look more holy and be prepared for that day when he will come back to get us. So the Father purposes and prunes. The Son perfects, purifies, and prepares the Holy Spirit empowers. Turn to 2 Thessalonians very quickly. I want to show you that the Holy Spirit is directly involved in our sanctification. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 Paul writing here says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, Beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit, belief in the truth. Part of our salvation, part of the, the, the total package of salvation is that we believe in the truth of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. We step into salvation and the Spirit is, is doing a sanctifying work in our life. He's directly involved in our sanctification. Now, how does the Holy Spirit sanctify us? Well, very quickly, first of all, he empowers he empowers. Turn to Romans with me. Now, I know I have you turned in a lot, but these are important verses. Normally, the way I preach, I preach through books, and we go to one passage and kind of stick in that passage for the most part. But this, this topic uh, necessitates that we look at some different verses. So look with me in Romans chapter 8, verse 12. He's talking about the, the Christian life here, Romans 8, verse 12. Now, the context of verse 12 is, he just says right before that verse, that the Spirit of God lives in us with resurrection power. And he says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. In other words, because you have the Holy Spirit living in you with resurrection power, you don't have to give in to sin. Can I get an amen on that? You, listen, by the power of the Spirit of God who resides in you, you can now say no to sin. Not only has Jesus forgiven you, but Jesus Christ has set you free and given you the Holy Spirit to allow you to live in that freedom. He says in verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Look what he says there in verse 13. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. In other words, the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to kill sin in our life. The the old Puritans called this process mortification. Great word, mortification. And that is the process whereby the Holy Spirit helps us to target areas in our life that are strongholds. And then as we learn the truth about our our behaviors, and we see that, our, that things in our life are sinful and destructive, we allow the power of the Spirit to fill up our lives, and we target the Spirit's power on that area, and the Holy Spirit rises up to give us the wherewithal to kill that sin. 
Not just give you a good day, but to kill the sin. Listen to me. If you've been walking with Christ for a number of years, you ought to see some sins you used to struggle with falling off. You ought to see, now I'm not talking about perfection, but I'm saying you ought to see a, a transformation process where things you used to deal with, you don't deal with anymore. Why? Because the Spirit of God has killed it. It's gone. And so he says here, the Spirit empowers you to mortify sin. The Spirit empowers you to kill sin. Not only does the Holy Spirit empower, but the Holy Spirit evokes. Turn to John 14 with me. John 14, verse 25. Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, the night before he would be crucified, spends a lot of time talking about the Holy Spirit to his disciples. And look what he says in John 14, verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And I love this. Bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And so he's saying to his disciples, listen, don't worry. I know I've taught you a lot of things through my ministry here on the earth. I've, I've invested a lot in you. I've poured out truth upon you. And you're thinking, if you're no longer physically on the earth with us, how are we going to remember everything? And Jesus says, the Spirit will help you. He'll lead you into those things I taught you and bring to remembrance those things that you need when you need them. The Spirit evokes. He reminds us of the, the teachings of truth. So here's what that means for us. As we read our Bible, I'm going to talk about this some more next week as we talk about the the Trinity and the Word of God. As we read our Bible, the Spirit of God does a work in our lives to lead us into truth as we are studying God's Word. And then the Spirit of God takes what we learn and deposits it deep down in our heart. And just when we need it most, He'll remind us of what we need. You ever been in a tough situation and a verse... Or a truth from God's word just comes to your mind that you needed right when you needed it? You know what that is? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. How does he sanctify? He leads you into truth and he brings that truth to mind. He, he keeps it at the forefront of your heart and your thinking. So the Holy Spirit evokes. Third, the Holy Spirit exalts. Look over in John 16 verse 12. I love this. John 16 verse 12. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He, the Spirit, will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Listen to me. How do you know if a person is Spirit-filled? How do you know if a church is Spirit-filled? The question is, are they making much of Jesus? If the Spirit of God is filling up and controlling and empowering your life, you will be focused with a laser-like intensity on the person and work and glory and grandeur and majesty of King Jesus. You will be, your life will be centered on the Savior. And if a church is a Spirit-filled church, it will be a church that lives high the name of Jesus because when the Spirit does His work, He is always directing us to the finished work of the Son. Amen? That's what it says. So He's, he's empowering and evoking and He's, he's exalting Jesus. But, but here's the next thing. He encourages Look what it says over in John 14, 
verse 15. John 14, verse 15. The Bible says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. How many of you have figured out thus far that obedience can be hard? Raise your hand. Right? And Jesus says, obedience is the demonstration of your love. If you love me, you'll do what I say. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's tough. And the disciples know that's tough. So look what he says next. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Who's that? Even the Spirit of truth. Now listen to me. The Bible uses this term helper and applies it to the work of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And helper really doesn't do the word justice. Some translations use comforter or encourager or helper. The, the Greek word there is paraclete. It's a beautiful word. It speaks of one who comes alongside another to help them accomplish a task. And, and Jesus is saying, listen, I'm calling you to demonstrate your love by, a, by an obedience in your life. But listen to me, you're not going to do it in your own strength. The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, will come along beside you and give you what you need to obey. That's good news, isn't it? And look what it says over in chapter 15, verse 26. Jesus says, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Look over in chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not go away. The Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In other words, Jesus is saying that the immediacy, the presence of the Spirit is of great advantage in our lives. And he will encourage us. He will help us. Listen to me. The Christian life is not not hard. It's impossible. Right? It's impossible. When we have the old sin nature tugging at our sleeve, trying to pull us back in its direction, we have the devil who comes against us, the, the system of this world that bombards us with ungodly messages and worldviews. The Christian life is difficult But we don't have to navigate the Christian life alone. Jesus has sent the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who encourages us every step of the way. And so, the Father is involved in our sanctification. The Son is involved in our sanctification. The Spirit, remember there's one God. So the Father, Son, Spirit have one purpose, one nature, and they're they're all working together in perfect oneness to sanctify us. Let me sum it up like this. The Father's purpose is to make you like the Son, and the Son desires to purify His bride. This is done primarily by the power of the Spirit. That's how God primarily changes our lives. So, we've talked about the triune God's role in our sanctification, but before we transition and have some response time and go into the Lord's Supper, I want to say just a word about our response to what God is doing in our lives or our role in sanctification because we have a role. We have a role. The Father is doing some things. The Son is doing some things. The Spirit is is working, but we have a role in this thing called sanctification too. So what is our role? Listen to me. As God works in us, we are to do our part. Philippians 2 says, that God is at work in you, so we ought to work out our salvation. That doesn't mean we work for our salvation. It means that we respond to what God is doing in us. We, we, God is working in us, so we work it out. We, we respond by, by living a life that honors and glorifies Him. We are called to do our part. Now, how does that work? 
Because some of you in here are saying, I need to change more than I'm changing. It's not going as fast as I want to go, or I've been stagnant for a while. And, and I, I, Wait, I, how do I change? What, what is my role in this thing? Well, here it is. You ready? We are transformed as we exercise dependent discipline. Dependent discipline. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, I want to show you dependent discipline. By the way, I got this phrase from a book called The Discipline of Grace, one of my favorite books by Jerry Bridges. He really helped me to understand sanctification. And and look what the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And so the Bible says that God has given you everything you need to live a holy life. Amen? Everything you need. God has given it to you. But look what it says in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort. So God is doing his thing. He's perfectly fulfilling his role. And because of what he's doing, our role is to make every effort to cooperate with what God's doing. So maybe the reason you're stagnant is because you're not making every effort. There's this idea out there of you kind of let go, let God, you know. I understand what people are saying when they say that, but that's not a biblical idea. The biblical idea is God's doing something and you make every effort. That's the biblical idea. And so that's dependent discipline. We're dependent upon the Spirit. We know we can't change apart from God's work in our life, but we discipline ourselves to cooperate with what God's doing. So here's what it looks like. I want to give you just a very practical kind of rundown as to what dependent discipline looks like. Very quickly, ready? Number one, in full surrender, we ask for the Spirit's help and count on the Spirit's help by faith. Full surrender to the work of the Spirit. We ask for His help and depend on His help by faith. Ephesians 5.18 says that we are to be filled with the Spirit. Present, uh, active imperative. We are to... We are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. We surrender to his, to his work in our life. Say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me up? Would you give me the power I need? Now, I've asked the Spirit of God to fill me countless times through the years. And I, I don't think I've ever felt chill bumps go down my spine or some kind of warm, fuzzy feeling. I depend on the Spirit's work by faith. Over in Luke 11, the Bible says, hey, if you ask the Spirit to fill you, God, being a good father, will do it. If a son asks for uh, bread, his father won't give him a, a stone. If he asks for fish, he won't give him a snake. And God's so much better than us. And if we ask God for the, for the Spirit, he'll give the Spirit to us. So we, we depend on the Spirit's power by faith. We just believe that if we ask him to fill us, if we surrender to his work in our lives, we believe that he's there doing his thing, right? That's faith. Secondly, As the Spirit empowers us, we develop habits of holiness. Look over with me in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. I want you to see this passage because some of you are still saying, I I like the let go, let God thing. Look with me in 1 Timothy chapter 4. These verses are striking. Verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Train. That word comes from a 
a, a Greek word that was used of athletes training for the Olympic Games. We're coming up on the Olympics. I love the Summer Olympics. And you got track and field and, and you know, gymnastics and uh, swimming and soccer and all these other sports. I love the Summer Olympics. So, so athletes are training diligently, pouring their effort in to doing their best in the games that they are competing in. And the word here says we ought to we ought to pour ourselves in. We ought to train ourselves. We ought to make every effort for godliness. Look what it says in the next verse. Verse 8. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So, hey, Discipline yourself, train yourself for godliness. Make every effort for godliness because it will bring great profit into your life. So as the Spirit empowers us, we develop habits of holiness. Now in your connect groups next week, I want you to discuss this. I want you to talk about those habits that, that we put into our lives by the power of the Spirit that are means that God uses to help us grow. Things like Bible reading. We'll talk about Bible reading next week. Things like prayer. We'll talk about prayer in the Trinity a few weeks down the road. Things like attendance, being around other believers, being at church, being in a small group, being in worship, things like that. These are disciplines that if we do them consistently, if we make every effort to do these things, we build those habits into our lives, God will work through those things to grow us. And as a result, our lives will progressively look more and more like Jesus. Second Corinthians 3 says, As we gaze upon the glory of Christ... The Spirit makes us more and more like the Christ that we gaze at. So listen to me. Gazing at Jesus is what changes you ultimately. Keeping your focus upon Him. And habits of holiness, discipline, helps you to keep your gaze on Him. And so that is sanctification. That is our role. And here it is. As we become more like Jesus, we find ever-increasing joy in our relationship with God. 2 Corinthians 4 says that we, we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So as we grow and become more like Jesus, we see the glory of God more clearly, and we're overwhelmed and joyful at, at who He is and how He's at work in us. Michael Reeve says this, The Spirit is not about bringing us to a mere external performance for Christ, but bringing us actually to love Him and find our joy in Him. The Spirit and the Father and the Son would never be interested in merely empowering us to do good. His desire, which is the desire of the Father and the Son, is to bring us to such a hearty enjoyment of God through Christ that we delight to know Him, that we delight in all His ways, and that therefore we want to do as He wants, and we hate the thought of ever grieving Him. That's what sanctification looks like in our lives. Let me give you an illustration. We'll be done. That really helped me. This came from Jerry Bridges. And it really helped me to nail down sanctification, dependent discipline. God's role, our role. He said, imagine a farmer. A farmer wants to grow a crop. And the farmer has some work to do, right? Needs to get the soil ready. Needs to remove rocks. And needs to you know, plow up the field, and, and then the farmer plants the seed, and the farmer fights weeds, and waters the crop, and makes sure it has everything it needs. He cultivates that seed so that the seed will grow. But ultimately, listen to me, ultimately when that seed sprouts and grows, that's the work of God. Now, I've never met an atheist farmer. I don't know about you. Maybe there's some out there, 
but most farmers that I've been around, all of them I've been around, they understand that farming is actually the work of God. They are dependent upon the Lord. They, they pray a lot, amen? All right? But they still cultivate, don't they? They still do their role. And that's sanctification. We cultivate our heart by the power of the Spirit. We do the, the, the things God's called us to do, disciplines of grace, habits of holiness. We, we read our Bible, we pray, we go to church, we get around other believers, we, 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 we do the things God's called us to do. And as we do those things, we cultivate our heart. God is the one that makes us grow. He's the one that sprouts the seed into full growth so that we become more like Jesus. And so it's God's role, the triune God's role, in our role. Here's the point. As the three persons of the one Godhead work in concert to change us, we are called to cooperate with that work. That's sanctification. There it is. As the triune God works in concert to change us, we are called to cooperate, to let him have his way in our life by doing what he's called us to do. And he'll do the changing. He'll do the transforming. He'll make you more like Jesus. He will sanctify you completely. The Bible says he's faithful and he will do it. Amen?